Welcome to the Paragon Podcast. This is Jared Pitney, and today I am joined by Kevin Lane. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Glad you had me. This is not your first time in this building? It is not. I've been here many times. Yes, and the first time that we met was whenever we had just purchased the building, and it looked a little bit different then. It did look a little bit different. It is amazing the transformations that y'all have done with it. Well, thank you. Part of that is because y'all kept our feet to the fire. No pun intended. <laughs> oh, that was I pun. did not even plan that before. Wow. It just came out. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I would love to hear a little bit about your story. I have only known you as the fire chief. Uh, of course, right now you are in uh, fairly, I guess, a relatively a new role, the director of planning and development. So would would love to learn more about what that means. Um, but tell me, I guess, just a little bit about uh, where you came from. I guess, are you from Paragould? Absolutely. Uh, born in Paragould, been here my entire life. Um, there was a, a another life that I had that I worked for a company called AutoZone. And uh-huh. I was promoted to recruiter for them, and my wife and I moved to Evansville, Indiana for a year, Uh, and I did recruiting for stores from Jonesboro, Arkansas, all the way to Owensboro, Kentucky, Uh, so we moved up there for a year, and then I got promoted again to the area advisor, what a lot of people think is regional manager over a smaller area, and we got to move back home and been back home ever since. Wow. So you were at AutoZone. What made you make the jump from that to... I guess, did you go right into fighting fires? So I grew up in the fire department. My dad was on the fire department. Okay. And so I grew up at the old fire station that is no longer here. That's at the parking lot of the postal service where the post office is. That was the original number one fire station. How long was that here till? Uh, That burnt... Oh, it's been 25 years ago. It, they moved out of into the laugh, new. I, yeah, I know I it does sound funny. Yeah, yeah. Do, but it wasn't a fire department when that happened. It wasn't. Okay. A, it was storage and some other things. But when they opened the station one up by the cemetery, the one we yes, just moved yes. out of, that's where they moved from. Okay. Is that building? Um, and it was neat. It had a little upstairs where they met. You know, the, it only had two trucks, and they had to kind of shoehorn them in to get them in there, but. Was that the original spot for like the original fire department in Paragould back in the, the one that's in the post office parking lot? Actually, the original one is going to be down the street here, probably right next in the area where Skinny Jays was. And there's some old pictures floating around of that of that building. Wow. I'm curious, the development of, and, and I'm totally getting into history here that you may have no clue of, the... How did the fire department evolve from like the very first fire department yeah. in Paragould? I'm I'm guessing like was what like horse and buggy with like you, buckets you know, of it, water. It was, and you know we the fire department came to being back in the late 1800s, not long after Paragould actually became a city. Mm. Uh, it was very small, and like everybody else, I mean, it was just volunteer folks. Um, when my dad actually first came to work for the fire department, it's kind of odd if you go across the railroad tracks here on mm-hmm. court. And before you get to fourth, there's a what is now a house. Well, it was a fire station at that time. My mom and dad lived in the back of that fire station. No way. Yes. So time out. There's a house still standing. The house is still there. That at one point was a fire station. Correct. I believe if you cross That's the tracks, crazy. it's going to be the third, second or third house on the left. You're going down Court Street. Going down Court Street. What color east. house? It's a brick, brick house. And the front of it used to be one bay where one truck backed in it and had living quarters in the rear of it. That's wild. 
Was it? And so it was made for whoever the firefighter was to live there. It was, and they they rotated. Their shifts were a little different at that time. Uh, and, and people, you were full time, but you weren't. But you were around if there was a fire. You drove the truck, and then that was actually before I was ever came into being. That was back in probably the oh early early sixties. And what were they hooking up to? Was there a water source then? I mean, they had hydrants. Okay. You know, they still had hydrants that they used, not near what we have now. I mean, we have an absolute wonderful water source now. Uh, But, you know, back then there was a lot of shuttling water and you just sprayed till you run out and and you went and reloaded. But, I mean, they laid laid holes, laid lines just like we do. It was just a lot longer. And they used to do, instead of now, if you've ever come to a fire, you see the big yellow hose that comes from the hydrant. Back then it was two small two-and-a-half-inch hoses Ah, that they hooked up. Okay. So We talked about this when you were walking in, just how (laughs) different downtown Paragold is. Uh, A lot of people wouldn't know this. If you see some original pictures, I don't know if you've ever seen them, Robert, or you've seen them, but you see original pictures, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of two-story buildings. Correct. And fire, right, Mm -hmm. took a lot of those. But you got to realize Paragold didn't have our first ladder truck, aerial truck, until about 1992 or three. And it was a used truck. It was a 76 model that the city mm. bought used from upstate New York. Wow. wow. Is it they just, they're that expensive? Like, what was the deal? They were, and not just everybody had one at that time. Um, you know, you would see, now they all had the big extension ladders that, that you run up. Most of them were 35 feet, but those were precarious to work off of, as you can imagine. And... So you're just trying to hit whatever you can from the ground. You can, that. and I can't tell you the the difference that having being able to have an elevated stream to put water in something it makes a huge difference. Now, yeah, you're still going to have damage. You're going to have water, but if you can save the structure, then you've got something to rehab. Wow. So you are at AutoZone, the fire department. Uh, I guess that's just that being a firefighter was in the blood. It, it was, and and I worked when I worked for AutoZone. There were, and my wife will tell you, you, no one wanted to be around me because I was working ninety hours a week and Ooh. driving all over the place, and it just had me wow. wore down. And how long did you do that for? I did that for almost ten years, Jeez. and I, you know, I decided, look, Paragul was expanding, the department was getting larger, um, and I thought, you know, you know, maybe back when you're a kid, no, I don't want to do what my dad does. That's I, I, that's, I'm not yes. interested in yep. that. And, and as you get a little older, you know, you know, I like that. It's, it's, it's a good career to have. And so the people I worked for at AutoZone, my bosses were spectacular. They were great folks. So they allowed me, I enrolled in Black River Technical College, started going to school. They worked with my schedule. I continued to work for AutoZone. And this was around what time? What this would have been about 96, 97. Oh, you watched Backdraft. That's what made you decide to get <laughs> in. <it wasn't. laughs> that's what happened. Like, that's what that's I want to do. That's a good one. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. Uh, but So they allowed me to do that. I went to Black River, got my fire science degree, actually got an associate's degree, got my EMT. Uh, the city was hiring, got a job, and... You know, kind of the rest is history. Uh, but and my dad was, was it pretty much what you thought it would be. You know, it was, but it was better. You can't. It, it's hard to explain to somebody. It is absolutely the best and worst job you can ever have. It's it's the what best do you job. Mean by that? It's the best job. There's the most satisfaction. You get to help people. You get to be involved in some amazing things. But you get to see people on their worst days. Yeah. So that's mm. that's the the sad part of it. But if you can help them and make it better, that's the good part of it. What's the biggest fire that you have had to fight in all years? 
probably as far as a, a structure would be involved would be when Martin Sprocket and Gear back yeah. uh, in like 09, we had that fire. We got called out on a Sunday morning. Someone called and there was smoke in the area. We got there about five thirty. Had no morning. idea what you were rolling up on. We, right? did, we had no clue because uh, sometimes you get these calls and it's like yeah. you get there and like eh, okay. it's nothing. Somebody yeah. left some leaves smoldering yes. or it's anything. But anyway, figured out yeah there was smoke in the building, so we got there and we left twenty nine hours later. Twenty nine hours. Twenty nine hours. What were you doing yes. for twenty nine hours? Like ex- explain that to me. Like walk so, me through that. So you, are you, you you weren't a chief then, right? Uh, actually I was, you were the chief. I was the chief at that time. I became chief in 2007. So does that mean, let me ask you this. Well, actually this will back up and we'll come back to March. Like as a fire chief, do you actually have any like game time decisions or is it more just organizing all the behind the scenes stuff and you have very little, if nothing to do with actual stuff that happens. So I will, I will say this and, and the current chief Kyle Jackson will back me up a hundred percent. We have the best guys in the world and they're well-trained. They know what to do. but And sometimes you have to be the one that holds them back just a little bit because they'll bail off in the middle of the biggest fire you ever saw. Uh, but you look at it a little bit differently when you're responsible for their safety, so you kind of take a little different mindset. But you do make those decisions on, okay, how are we going to ventilate this building? What areas, what doors do we want to send lines in to start trying to put fires out? That situation, it ended up being started from a lightning strike. A storm had gone through earlier that night. And the way it was built, it had insulation. It had like chicken wire holding the insulation up. Believe it or not, the lightning struck a vent pipe that went through the roof, and it came down through there, and it energized that wire and started the insulation smoldering. That's how it started. Wow. Then that fire's dropping down, and they had... Uh, shelving in there that had like wood racks so it started the wood burning so that's what we were dealing with let me and i want to stuff i'm going to keep asking these questions eventually we'll get to the story how do you know that like how did you know like we we were talking about this while ago robert and i uh right before you came in like he was talking about some fires that's happened over here that like were suspect and i won't Mm -hmm. mention any names but over the years he was like (laughs) that was a somebody started that on purpose like how do you know how it starts so it's a science. It really is. And, and we've got a couple of really good folks that have gone through the cause and origin class. Um, a lot of insurance companies nowadays send professional cause and origin folks in. That was the case with this particular fire. Um, and, and it was odd. So this guy comes down and he works for these big, because an industry, you know, it's somebody like, um, it's, it's a huge industrial insurance company. So they're, that's, we're talking about millions of dollars of loss. So they send this guy in and he comes in with the first time I'd ever seen this in my life called strike report. I'm like, what strike report? He has a report of every lightning strike within a five mile vicinity of wow. that building pinpointed on a GIS that's map. That's insane. And he said, and he said, there's a lightning strike on top of this building at this time. And he said, what we're going to be looking for, he told us, he said, what we're probably going to be looking for is a hole the size of a pencil lid in a piece no of way. metal. So he, this, and you got to realize this, it's got gas heaters in it. So the vent pipes come up, we find a vent pipe and he says, right there. I mean, he, what he described, we would find he found. That's pretty incredible. Wow. So, and that, that, I thought that was pretty amazing, but, but fire grows and, and moves due to certain 
fuel packages that affect it, ventilation that affects it. So once you kind of go through the size Each one's of a little it, bit unique, right? It's a little different. And so you know how it, it go, you know how it travels so you can walk back to the source. So when you roll up to this one, like, what are you thinking when you get there? You're still thinking at Martin Sprocket, mm, I don't know what we're going to find here. You're you not, know, your adrenaline's not pumping, I'm guessing. Yeah, we're not. I mean, at that point, that large of a building full of smoke, you're like, okay, yeah, we got something going okay. on. We got something happening here. Well, it wasn't much later till it vented through the roof. We had fire through the roof. Y'all are standing outside of this We're point? outside. They, we've got doors open on the side. So when we get doors open so that we can get in and start searching, we, of course, ventilate it. Mm. You can't help but so it's starting to get a little more air, and it helps ah. it pick back up. It comes through the roof. Well, we at that time had purchased <clears throat> our first new aerial truck. We bought it in 07, 08. It's 100, and it was a 100-foot platform truck. It's the big one we have now. So the guys were able to go up, put water in that, and kind of keep it at bay. But we didn't know it. It had already traveled through the ceiling into another area. Wow. So it got back into an area that had a ton of storage and cardboard boxes. How did y'all find out it got there? Uh, Just as you go through, like, man, you know, we've still got a ton of smoke and I'm not seeing what would cause that. So there's something else burning somewhere. Um, We were inside and you got to realize once it gets that heated, superheated, then everything in there starts to get to its ignition temperature, tires on lift trucks. You know, it can be anywhere. There's melted aluminum. Aluminum melts at 1500 degrees. So, but now those temperature levels are higher. You know, it's just like the old stop, drop, and roll, or you, you get down and crawl out. That's your your hotter air is up yes. in your coolers down. So it's kind of that way. But that was one that that's the first time I had ever been in close proximity of a propane puddle lighting off and, and actually blowing up. It ripped apart. It was on it was on a on a tow motor and there was so much heat that the bottle actually blevied. And it just it shook the entire building. Wow. Um, and, and Did you I know that was about to happen? No, we had no clue. But, I mean, there's guys still on apartment. I can promise you, you ask them if you remember it, and they'll say, oh, yeah, I, re- they, I remember did, that. Did they have a shift going on then? Were there no, it was closed. It was closed? It was closed. It's on well, a Sunday because it was a Sunday night. Yeah. It was over a weekend. Um, so it was closed. And that wow. was probably the longest one. And, man, we had, you know, we had folks coming out helping us. Um, by the time it was over – we had other local departments that would come in and just man a master streamline for us, just flowing water. When it got back to that back warehouse part, you got to realize this factory's been there for years and years and years, and it's not sprinklered. So there was mm. nothing to help keep that oh, at man. bay. Um, so, no wonder you were so concerned about <clears throat> us getting a sprinkler system. And that's, the, you know, and a sprinkler system may not put your fire out, but it holds it in check till we can get in there and deal with it. It keeps it from spreading. Uh, and now, when they went back because of codes, that it's all sprinkler sure. now. All that new construction is sprinklered. So, Did you, were you ever afraid, if not there, at another place? Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this place. You know, I, I or have I'm, or never. At least I'm in a very dangerous place here. I, I have never been anywhere that I just I, I felt scared for myself. But you get in areas, and when your your ears, you have your hood and your gear on, and your your ears start getting hot. You're like, we've got a lot of heat in here. We got to figure out what's going on. Um, and, and we've had guys that have been in a whole lot more precarious situations than I have been in uh, because I've been chief since I was, or was chief starting in 07. You know, there, there's a we've had a lot of fires, and we're the the fire department. We're a very 
proactive. I mean, we don't sit back and wait for the fire to come out a window and start flowing water. I mean, we're opening doors, turning ventilation fans on, and we're we're rolling up in there flowing water trying to, to stop it. It's incredible. Um, do um, – uh, I just a little bit blank. Have you ever had to go into a situation where there were – people that you knew who were in the house that you had to, or you or someone else had to pull them out of the house? No, no one that I've known. Um, but I, I mean, I will tell you probably the, the worst one that I ever dealt with. I had been on the department. I wasn't chief yet. I had been a captain for probably less than a month. And we had, we had just changed shifts it was about 10 after 6 in the morning, we got a call of a house fire with people trapped. And there were, we ended up losing three children in that one. And that's, that, I don't care how tough you are, that's, that's hard on you. And it, and it, and it works on you. Oh, um, sure. So. How do y'all, how do y'all deal with that? I mean, obviously that doesn't happen a ton, but it does happen. That's a traumatic event. So, I mean, is that, is. is that in your training or is that something that you don't even really even can train for? Well, like, I mean, you, you talk about it and, and you know that it's going to happen. You do it long enough, you're going to see it. Um, we're a lot better as a as a group and not just Paragould Fire, but the fire service in, as a whole – we're a whole lot better about trying to do debriefs after something like that when you really have a traumatic um, experience. You know, you talk about it. You don't want to just bottle yes. it up because that's that's yes. going to issue. It's going to come back. And uh, some of the guys are a lot better at talking about it than others. And, you know, you can't press them. Some folks, it may be a week before they decide they're ready to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, some <laughs> of them, they just go home and hug their kids, and yep, that's their therapy. Talking about it's huge. There's a – a saying um, that grief needs a witness, and it's just a saying that we use in the counseling world. And just the it's just the idea of what you're talking about that if you're going to grieve well, especially over something that's happened as traumatic or a loss, you need to talk about it and allow other people to kind of witness it, so to speak, as you sit there and relive the moment, what it was like for you. And it's amazing how therapeutic that can be of just having someone who will listen to you talk through what you experience. Yeah, I'm 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 real good at talking a good game, but I'm probably not the best guy. Yeah, following I know, my man. Own, Same here. You know. Same here. hundred percent. Yeah, I can tell you all day long about what you should do, but then maybe sure. put it into practice. So <clears throat> you talked about the firefighters that you have and how you said they're the best in the world, which is a, a huge compliment. I'm telling you. Uh, how do you become a firefighter? So like what is the process? When when I became one, you know, we we just didn't add people that often and you just kind of had to get lucky and you put your application in and there was a process you went through and there was a scoring they did scoring on what kind of training you had and and those types of things and that process has been refined now. You know, you can apply at any time the city keeps those applications on file. Then you're notified when anybody can do, apply no matter what degree, Anybody can anything. apply. Okay. It doesn't matter who you can apply. Uh, we have a little different testing situation. Now, what you do is the first thing we do is they do a physical agility test. Okay, which consists of what? <clears throat> it consists of, and I think they've adjusted a little bit in the last year or so, but for us originally, you started out, you had a certain distance that you would run, you know, 50 or 60 feet, carrying two and a half inch hose, which probably going to weigh about 50 or 60 pounds a piece. You carried three of them, you rolled one out, you hooked it to a hydrant, you hooked a nozzle, and then you ran over here and you jumped like this simulated ditch. 
you grabbed at that time a rescue dummy we had made out of hose and you drug it like 50 feet. You had to crawl up over uh, like a, a, a box they had back underneath, set a ladder up, walk, climb to the top of it, put it back, run back to the start and carry all your hoses back and all that you had to do in five minutes. And oh, that's wow. not impossible to do. We have added quite a few different things now. There's, if you ever what have seen any of the firefighter games on uh, YouTube or anything where they're hoisting the a hose upstairs, that has been incorporated into it. If you've ever seen them hit the uh, the sled and drive, driving the sled, that has been incorporated into it. Paragol has got one of those. I mean, you've got to you you've got to be in good shape to the every everyday fires that's not a big deal. They're 15, 20 minutes and it's over with. You get into something that's prolonged and you're having to make multiple trips inside and out. You know, you've, you've got to have some stamina and you've got to be able to, to handle yourself there. But once you get everybody that makes it, and that's pass or fail, it's no, you don't, if you do it in three minutes, you don't get a better score than if you do it in four. It's just pass or fail. And if you get a call to go do your physical test, like, if you pass that, do you have it, or is like after that, is there like an interview or what? And after that, you actually we do a written test, and it's a national test that they put for entry level firefighters. So you do that, and there's a scoring. Everybody that passes that then sets for an interview with the uh, administration of the department, and okay. we we score as we go. We have a scoring, but then once it's all said and done, we set down. And so if, if, if we were scoring someone and, and I scored them and I gave them a, a 75 and you gave them a 95, well, then we've got to discuss why we're so far apart. Yep. We've got to figure out what's going on there because, you know, we want to make it fair. And, and the, the sad thing is, folks that probably would be good may not get hired, but in Paragol, we just can't hire that many. Our department's not that large. You know, you take a Jonesboro, a Conway, you know, they're hiring 20, 25 guys a year because of retirement and, and expansion. And we have hired several due to expansion. We've, we've got to add a lot of personnel. Um, Are we which, where we need to be now as a city? You know, uh, we do need – we need more. Um, Paragould is not what – Everybody, we are a full-time fire department, but in, in the fire service world, a full-time department is when that engine rolls out, there's at least three guys on it. You're not calling off-duty folks to the fire. Yes. We still do that. We're getting better, and we're getting more folks. Uh, we now roll out with more than one person on a truck, and what that does, so think of it this way. We show up to your house at midnight. We get a call. Now we have... Guys in that truck, when they when they get to your house in three minutes, they're pulling a line and they're making entry into your house to put that fire out. Now, let's go back 15 years. The guys on duty show up. They get the truck in pump gear and get the hose pulled off. We're waiting for guys that are off duty to get there and put their gear on to go in Yeah, simply because we didn't have the numbers to do that back wow. then. I think if you talk to those guys now, they'll tell you, that makes a huge difference oh, sure. in how Minutes quickly. Minutes matter, right? Oh, absolutely. On how quickly they can get the fire out and how quickly they can affect a rescue if need be. And fire department is being called now, not just the fires, correct? Oh, correct. Yeah, we, we started several years ago. Um, we had the rescue training. We were starting to run first responder with the hospital just to assist them because they have so many calls and to be able to back them up when they're shorthanded. 
uh, and, and we had the rescue tools. It made sense that we ran vehicle wrecks. Um, and, and I, I mean, so you got to think about it. We've got guys in the station with the trucks, with the equipment. We get the call. We're there. We start working on the car. And I don't want to disparage the rescue squad. They're a great bunch of guys, and I'm going to tell you something. They stood up for Paragool and Greene County when somebody when nobody else would. Yes. And and they are still a needed group uh, in certain areas, but it we could just be there quicker because take that analogy I made a while ago. They're getting the call. They have to leave their house, go get in the truck, and then go to the scene to where we've got guys at the station. As soon as the call comes in, they're in the truck. They're headed to the scene and start work. Uh, again, I, Rescue Squad, a great group of guys, well-trained. Um, but the fire department is too. And in reality, it's the responsibility of the city of Paragould to make sure that the folks in Paragould are safe and are taken care of. So it, it was our job to do, and we just felt like it was time we started to do it. And I'm guessing that's a part of the training that's changed as well, right? Because if, if back in the day you were a firefighter and you didn't have to go to those accidents, there's nothing that – I guess you didn't have to be tested for anything like that, right? Not you. You didn't. You learned it. We we learned auto extrication back when I went through in the late nineties. Um, but I can say this because I've been from Paragould and been here my entire life. It seems like we are always a few years behind the curve. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I, I, and and by that I mean if you ask people that came from another city somewhere else in Arkansas or around Tennessee it was normal for the fire department to be at vehicle accidents and work in the wrecks. That's just, that was just how it was. And it just took, and I think it was probably because again, back in the day, the rescue squad stepped up and, you know, when it started, Mr. Heath and a couple of the other folks, they were yes. doing it out of their vehicles. Isn't that crazy? Um, and so, you know, hats off to those guys because they, they saw the need, they stepped up. And so, you know, fast forward, they're in existence, so it's like, well, really no need to push for that. But we get to, we get to looking at it, and so if they're out in the county doing a rescue and something happens in the middle of town, guess guess who's got to handle it? Right. Fire department's got to handle it. Yeah. So do, do some do some fire departments have EMS as well? Some do. Some run actual ambulances. Yeah. Uh, you, you Memphis look at, does, I think. Memphis does. Fayetteville, West Memphis. Are we ever do, do we have that in the cards? You know, I, I don't know. We're we're a little bit different situation with it with it being run by the hospital. I would mm-hmm. never say never, but I think a lot of things would have to change. Now, what has happened, and we had started that while I was still there. We were starting to get everybody through as an EMT. Talking to the chief here not long ago, they had a, they've got another. I think they are down to where the lion's share of their folks are all EMTs. Mm-hmm. So they all have that training. Wow. Um, they have. I'm going to say they're down to a handful only of probably the older guys that don't have a whole lot of time left that are not EMTs. Um, but interesting. Those guys, the way there's some of those guys that aren't EMTs, but I guarantee you they could do anything in the world that needs done because they do it every day. They make those runs, yeah. and um, we got a lot of pushback, even from the firefighters on the front end, because it was different and they weren't used to having to make all those runs. But I think by and large, if you talk to them now, they like it because it's always something different you never know what's coming it breaks the day up and it it gives them a feeling that 
you know, hey, I'm, I'm making a difference here. I'm helping. Uh, and, my, you know, my thing is if those guys show up with an AED and they get there before the ambulance crew and they put that AED and they save one person, every dollar we spend is worth it. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly right. Well, I'm very thankful that you guys are now involved in that. I'm curious, how did you become the chief? Like, what is the process from going from? <clears throat> well, at that time, uh, the chief that we had retired left and uh you know the mayor appoints that that's an appointed position by the mayor um and he at that time mayor gaskell came to me and said you know i i would like you to be chief and i'm and i'm sitting here thinking you know i guess i had that in my mind down the road but really not quite this quick Mm. and he just he said you know if you don't take it i'm probably going to bring someone in from outside so you know, I discussed it with some other guys in the department, and I'm like, okay, let's go for it. What do you think he saw in you, um, or if it makes it even easier to ask? <laughs> so I can tell you exactly what he saw in me and what he told me. So if, if you remember, Mayor Gaskell came from the grocery business. Yes. Um, Malone and Hyde that had all the big stars at one time, a big group. Yes. Out of, well, Malone and Hyde is the parent company of AutoZone. Oh, so he said, the reason I chose you is because I knew you had been through some of the same leadership and management training that I went through with Malone and Hyde. Now, whether that's worth having or not, sure. I don't know. <laughs> it was to him, right? It, yeah. it yeah. was for him, and it made a difference. And, and, and I will tell you, I don't begrudge any experiences I had with AutoZone because I learned a ton. What did you learn? Like uh, specifically around leadership and management, not even necessarily from there, I guess, but even just in your years as more than anything, when you spend all day, every day dealing with the public walking in and they're going to give you money for a product, you, you get into some, some situations and it's not, they're not always pleasant. So, you know, you work around figuring out how to deal with that. You figure out how to deal with different people in different situations, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, but not just your everyday folks walking in, but also employees. Yeah. You know, you, you had, you had employees. And when I was an area advisor, I had 10 stores um, and tons of employees to deal with. We had store managers, but if anything really went south and you got to deal with it, but you know, we, we did do a lot of leadership training and, and just there's, so it, it was very helpful. And in the fire service, we get, we got to go through a lot of other leadership classes and uh, officer classes. And so, you know, you just, you learn a lot, but I wouldn't want to go back to doing retail sales anytime yeah. soon, but I definitely learn a ton doing it. <clears throat> what would you say makes for a good leader in your mind? Like well, someone I, even that you're like, I wouldn't mind being under someone like that. <laughs> Number one, I, I mean, I, I have no problem somebody telling me, hey, go do this or go do that. But I also want that person to know that, hey, if push come to shove, they'll be the ones doing that. Mm-hmm. And But they're also willing to, if they've got a different view on something, they know you're going to listen to what they think. Because I'm going to tell you, you know, sometimes that newest firefighter that walked in has an idea that nobody's ever thought about and we're like, holy mm-hmm. micro, that'd make things a lot easier. What, you mm-hmm. know, why hadn't we thought of that? Mm-hmm. So that's not always the easiest thing to do uh, because we all have egos, you know, everybody. And, and I think, I think you got to be able to listen to them. Um, you got to be willing to say that's not going to work and understand that they're not going to be happy about it, but that just goes along with it. But, you know, they have, you have to be willing 
to do what you're asking them to do and and listen to their input. Yeah. I will, well, what you just said is huge. And just to summarize, I know some people listen to this, like this will be a meaningful part of the episode for you, but <clears throat> humility, uh, listening, conflict management, um, just having been able to manage people. That's a big, big, big part of the job and leadership. Uh, being able to, like, like you said, listen and sometimes even learn from them, but also if they're off, be able to engage in that conflict in a way that's healthy. Well, and, and the, the tough part of that that you, I had to deal with when I was at AutoZone, I dealt with it with the fire department and in this job now, and you and I have had the discussion I probably told you some things that you didn't want to hear sure. when we were walking around this building. Yeah, 100%. But unfortunately, that's the reality. And what I told everybody as a chief when I would deal with a building and somebody wanted to do something, the bottom line is I have to be able to lay my head on the pillow and sleep at night with a clear conscience. 100%. Yep. And that, that's, that was the big driving force for me, yes. no matter what it was. Yes. And I will say, and not to like at all, you know, I'm not trying to suck up to you or whatever else. I mean this. Like, through that process that we went through in remodeling this building, which is a huge undertaking, <clears throat> I dealt with all kinds of people who would come in, and, and, and some of them was just, they were very difficult to deal with, and not because they were saying what you're doing is wrong or it's not right or you got to fix this. It was the way they went about it. And I always, I don't think I ever, you know, for sure there were times where you're like, you got to fix this or you can't do that. But I never once felt, I never took it personal. Like, you had a way of doing it. And I was just like, you know, it just is what it is. It's the way it, like he's trying to help us out. He's, it's what's legal. It's what's beneficial. I don't want to have to do it, but it's the best thing to do. And so I think that is a gift that yeah. you have. And Well, and, and people don't want to hear that. And I get it. Yeah. I understand. You know, folks want to do what they want to do, and they don't want you telling them no. And I yes. truly understand that. But yep. I, I look at this job the same way I did at the fire department. You know, I'm just... I'm trying to follow what the rules are, and it's funny because I tell Mayor Agee, you know, I'm good, bad, or ugly, I'm a rule follower. That's just my personality. Yeah. Well, then you you're know, in a good just, position. That's just how I roll, and sometimes that's not the best, but that's just how I am. Well, so let's talk about that road as the transition. It's the Director of Planning and Development. You fit on a little bit, but what exactly does that entail? So I have the, the building department or what everybody probably knows the inspector's office is under the umbrella of my office. Code enforcement is under the umbrella of my office. Um, what if, if there's a development going to happen, if it's a new subdivision, a new commercial building, a residential building, whatever it is, it flows through that office. Wow. Um, you guys have to stay busy. Well, and, and we do. The planning side of it, folks bring plans in. We have to review their plans to make sure they meet the current code. Does it is the property zoned properly for what they want to put there? Um, a lot of people probably don't even know that, oh, it's got to be zoned a certain way for me to do this or that. And it does. Um, so we have to look at that. And again, one of the things that we probably haven't looked at as hard as we used or need to that we're looking at is if, if I've got a five-acre side and I'm going to move a bunch of dirt and I want to do this on it, how's it going to drain? Is it going to drain toward a natural drain? Am I going to flood somebody out over here? Uh, What's yeah. going to happen when we get a three-inch rain? And those are things that we try to look at. Now, we farm a lot of that out to an in, to an engineering group sure. to look at. But, again, we have to look at all that. Then once the permit gets sold, that's, the, that's just the start of it. Then the guys are going out. They're doing footing inspections. They're doing plumbing under slab before you pour it they're doing electrical they're doing plumbing top house they're doing heat and air inspections i mean 
it, there's a lot more that went into it than I even realized. Um, so, and I sometimes joke with, with Mayor A.G. and tell him he sold me a bill of goods. But, <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't fill me in on this whole story here when we got it. But it, it's, I have enjoyed it. It has its moments, and I've, I have struggled with how to deal with it. I don't like giving people bad news, and I, I'm not one of those guys. I'm just not a confrontational person. You know, I like sure. here's the rules, and yep. I think everybody just because I follow them, everybody else sort too. But yeah. that's not how I it hear works. You. Yeah, I'm the same that's way. not how it works. Yep. Kevin, over the last couple of years, has there been some changes? Like, and if so, like what what have they been as far as like uh, new ordinances or or uh, the way that we're going about zoning? Or so there there hasn't yet that okay. right now that we're basically in that process. Uh, and for folks listening, if they if they've not seen it through Facebook or through the chamber website or the cities, the Orion Group right now mm-hmm. is doing a big study for the city, mm-hmm. and we're looking at we've not updated zoning or ordinances in years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these date back into the eighties. Oh wow! So we're kind of behind. Yeah, Parallels changed a little bit. Since we've then. changed a ton, you know, and so we're we're trying to look at that. We want to update it, come come up into this century, and and so growth is wonderful, but not all growth is good. You, you need to control it. There are, you know, there are parameters you need to look at. So, um, yeah, those are the things that we're trying to do, but. Um, Next Monday at 5.30 at the community center, there is a public meeting, and the Orion Group is going to be there. They're going to take public input on certain topics, and that's for anybody that wants to show up. And then they'll be back on Thursday to kind of present some. This has this started back in probably January or February. So what we're hoping is by the end of the year, we're ready to adopt a new land use map, a new zoning map, several new ordinances on how we build subdivisions, where we put them, what we allow to be mm. built. I mean, just not a complete rewrite, but just update a lot of things. There there are some, we have some ordinances that you read them, you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe we're still even looking at that. So um, it, it's exciting times because things are happening. There is a lot of building going on and it's great, but we, you know, we, we need to control it and, and it needs to happen orderly. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Is code enforcement something that uh, we're focusing on more now than we have in the past? It, it is. So Mayor Gaskell kind of got that push started, and he had a retired police officer that was doing it. Now uh, J.D. Stevenson and Omer Overbay are our um, code enforcement officers. Um, and, and so, you know, that that – covers just a vast amount that's anything from grass to trash to debris in your yard to con- condemnation of structures yeah. it covers a large and, and we get I we get two of those guys you said we have two officers that do it uh we have uh, a secretary in that office that takes most of the phone calls that sends the certified letters out and that's what's amazing when we get a phone call and and we do what we call pin it. We pin it on a map. The guys go out and check, and if they verify, yeah, the grass is this tall, or yeah, this is going on, we have to send a certified letter to the owner of that property. So it's not like you call my neighbor's grass is tall, and we're going to have somebody out there mowing it the next day. That's not how it works because yeah. we've got to jump through all the legal hoops. Yes. 
Um, so there's so a letter. And there's what? a certified letter that goes out on grass, things like that. They have seven days to comply. If they don't fix it in seven days, we send someone out there. It's mowed, and we put a lien on their property. Ah. So if it is um, debris or trash or maybe even a hoarding situation and you've seen the houses that you can't see the grass for all the junk, um, we send a letter. They have two weeks. If they don't comply, then we cite them into court, and uh, they come before Judge Stidham, and then he makes the call of do they get fined, do they, you know, some of them he'll find them and he'll give us an order to go over there and clean it all up and get rid of it. We do that. We follow lean on the property. That's excellent. I, I'm actually for that, you know. Yeah, I mean, and I know that it's it's a touchy situation or it's a sensitive topic because oh, you know, I, and I'm sure y'all have to deal with that. I could assure you, some of the strongest butt chewings I have received since I've been up there is over a code enforcement issue. Really? Oh, From the actual absolutely. resident? Yes. Like, he, what do they say? Like, if it's well, clear that it's all dilapidated so or it's... It, it's like anything else, you know, um, one man's trash is another man's treasure. <laughs> I mean, people just, they look at things differently. And, and a lot of folks think, you know, that's my property. I should be able to keep it in whatever order I want to keep it in. And that's all fine and dandy to it till it starts affecting your neighbors. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and I get it and we just do the best we can to deal with it. And it's absolutely. So it is a topic that a lot of people love because the folks that want to see it cleaned up, man, they're happy and they're loving it. And mm. the folks that we're having to deal with do not, not so much. care for us. And usually the, the more vocal people are the ones who are complaining, not the ones who are like singing your praises. Do you hear a lot of no, compliments? I mean, we you, do. I mean, people good. like, man, thank you for getting that cleaned good. up. We appreciate it. We do hear that, but it, it's mostly the folks that are unhappy. It's that, mostly not a call to say. It, I just it, want to call it, to tell you how special you oh, are to me. Oh, absolutely, yes. Right. Yeah, and, and like I said, the, our administrative assistant in there, she she gets raked over the coals because she answers the phone. Oh, man. And, Those administrative you know, assistants are underpaid. She, uh, My mom did that for years for Woodrow Wilson <laughs> and Bergen School District. I know. They receive a lot of complaints. You know, and she, you know, if, if, if we send someone a letter and we've given them two weeks to clean it up and – you know, they call in weeks. Look, I'm working on it. It's just taking me a little longer. Not a problem. Absolutely. We will extend your time a little bit. You know, we'll check on you in another week or so. Yeah. As long as we see progress, yes. that's what we're looking for. You know, 100%. We're, we're, yeah. Hey, look, I, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't have the resources, but I promise you I'm doing everything I can to make it happen. Like, that's okay. Sure. I can see you or at least want sure. to. Okay, well, now let's see if we can somehow help you. And, and it's no different on condemnation of a structure. We would much rather see a structure rehabbed, fixed up, and and rented to someone or used and have to go over there and tear it down and then file a lien on someone's property. That's not what we want. Some of them, it's just you just can't rehab them. They've just, they need to come it's down. Too far, yeah. And that's a whole lot longer process. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's an easy 60 to 90 day process to ever make that happen. It all takes time. Yeah. I would love to uh, end with some rapid-fire questions if you're ready for it. Ready as I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> a man who works well under pressure, I know. All right, here we go. What is either the last show or movie you watched or book that you read? So uh, my wife and I went and saw uh, the new Top Gun oh, yeah. recently. Yeah. That's a good That's one. So good. Yeah. Uh, so good. Yeah, she's, she's after me to go to Elvis now, but oh. – um, 
But uh, I'm a big NCIS fan. I love watching NCIS. Um, so I've that would never be watched latest. NCIS, yeah. but I keep hearing that I look yeah. like a guy on one of the uh, oh. the New Orleans. Oh know, yeah, I like the, uh, the the lab guy. I guess so. He must have yeah. a lot of muscles and yeah. well, really good yeah, He's a yeah. pretty beefy guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, favorite band or favorite genre of music? If you don't have a favorite band, genre of music would be classic rock. Right on. Okay. Yeah. Now uh, give me a band then. I mean, I love ACDC. I love all the, you know. I'm All you adrenaline junkies, man. Chad Henson was on here last week, and he was talking about ACDC. It's like, yeah, of course you were an air marshal. But, you know, I like all those. Have you seen them in concert? I have, actually. Pretty incredible. It was. It was. It's funny because we went, we had tickets, the 2009 Ice Storm. We had tickets for the Friday and so when we left out of here, everything was getting better, but we still didn't have power. But we headed to Memphis, and we got a hot shower and oh, went and saw it. So, yeah. <laughs> that was a great trip then. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. What's your favorite meal? Breakfast is my favorite if I just had to say, hey, I like one or the other. But uh, if I had to just say is throwing a filet on the grill. and mm. yeah, Very good. Yeah. Are you a bacon or sausage guy? Uh, you know, both, but bacon, you know, yeah, what's, with, everything's better with, bacon. I agree hundred percent. I love breakfast as well. Yeah. And a good filet. And, and I always made that joke. I, I would say breakfast is, or bacon is good with everything. And so a friend of mine made some no bake cookies for me, but oh. she made them look more like a hot dog. It's what we're going to call them. And she wrapped bacon around them. So what? I'll leave you to kind of ponder what that might have supposed to have been. <laughs> hey, cookies look like a hot dog. <laughs> you know, they were a, yeah, they were a cylinder, I know not, that looks not like. a, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Man, a good steak and eggs. How about a combination of that? That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And I call it the Twister dinner. You ever seen Twister, the movie Twister? They do the eggs. Oh, do the, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I saw it. Fry pan. Back in absolutely. Yeah, school. Okay. Um, what is on your nightstand right now? So there will be a uh, my clock, my alarm clock. Um, at night, my phone lays on there, and uh, my wife will kill me, but I would say the other bric-a-brac she has put on there, uh, <laughs> you know, to make it look nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, give us a snapshot of an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. So it's, it's changed a lot. Um, it, it's just spending time with what we call family. Our, you know, our good friends and family that we get to do. But I recently, my wife and I don't have kids. We have a niece who is like our daughter, mm-hmm. and she now has about a three-week-old. Oh, wow. So, and I'm heading down there tonight to get me some oh, some cool. time with the, the newbie. So oh, I cannot great. wait. That's so cool. It's amazing how many people, no matter what profession or what stage of life, um, they usually go with something around family or friends, mm-hmm. relationships. Um, last question. <clears throat> what is one thing that you're deeply grateful for right now? You know, probably um, my my wife, sounds cliche, but my wife, Jackie, she, you know, I she has hung with me and been, I mean, going through the fire department and, and again, even through AutoZone, I was not the greatest guy to live with because just stressed out to the not max and, you know, you don't want to be around anybody and, and yep. you know, you just, you come home and you're like, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to see anybody. And, you know, she's just always uh, been in my corner. That's awesome. Um, she, I can't tell you in every job I've had, the things I've bounced off of her. Mm. Uh, you know, she just, 
she kind of centers me. She, you know, helps me out. She, you know, she's she's a whole lot smarter than me. And I guess apparently I caught her at a weak moment. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but uh, but she, you know, she's what keeps me kicking down the road. Excellent. Well, I'm so glad that you made space to be here. Um, please don't look at our building too closely as you're walking out. <laughs> Everything I'm sure is exactly the way it should be. So, but thank you so much, seriously, for your service to our city over the years and your continued service to our city. You truly um, are going to leave it, hopefully, years from now, but you're going to leave it better than you found it. So, I hope so. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, If you've not done so, please check us out on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a follow. We're also on Instagram. And uh, let's see, Robert, anything else? We don't do sort of the email subscribing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, go to our website. uh, Paragolpodcast.com. Yeah, that's right. And if you've not already done so, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. It's very important. Because it helps people to find us more quickly and learn about the incredible people living here in Paraguay. So, as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.